You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A controversial decision from a BC Supreme Court justice today ruling Alan Schoenborn does not meet the criteria for the high risk accused designation. Schoenborn was convicted in one of the most horrific crimes in BC history, killing his three children nine years ago in Merritt. Romina Dea joins us now with the reasoning behind the decision and the emotional reaction to it. Romina. Chris, the victim's family was trembling after the bombshell decision was dropped. They say that the justice system has failed these three young innocent victims and the ruling puts the public at risk. Our fear is real. What he did was heinous and he shouldn't be able to walk the streets. Stacy Galt struggling to make sense of the judge's decision to not designate child killer Alan Schoenborn high risk. If Alan is not a high risk designation, then who qualifies for high risk designation? Caitlin, Max and Corden were sleeping when their father killed them in Merritt in 2008. Schoenborn was found not criminally responsible due to mental disorder. He's been institutionalized at Colony Farm ever since. In the ruling just released, Supreme Court Justice Devlin found that although Schoenborn continues to have anger issues, he doesn't meet the test to be deemed high risk, adding that his psychosis has been in remission for two years. Alan Schoenborn's not driving this. Let's be clear. This is defense counsel driving this. This is taxpayer-funded lawyers driving this. It's frustrating. Defense suggesting the ruling is not a victory. It simply means Schoenborn will continue to have the right to a yearly review to request privileges like escorted leave. Mr. Schoenborn has never been granted any sort of release. Okay, that's very important for everyone to remember that, that at no point has Mr. Schoenborn's team either applied for release or has he been given release. And that's not going to change. True for now, but it's no consolation for the victim's family. I'm scared because I live in the area. I live close to Colony Farms, and I don't want to turn around and see him behind me in the, in the lineup at a supermarket. Now, defense maintains there is no danger to the public that Schoenborn is not getting out anytime soon and likely not even next year. He says that he's got a lot of anger issues that he still needs to deal with. Schoenborn's next hearing before the review board is November 10th. Chris. Romina Day in New Westminster. Thanks, Romina. A landmark ruling at the B.C. Court of Appeal today. In a unanimous decision, the court tossed out a lower court ruling that found the Ministry of Children and Family Development had allowed a child to be sexually abused by its father, despite prior reports of abuse by the man. Jill Bennett explains how the case may now end up in Canada's highest court. The 133 pages outline what three appeal court justices found to be a case riddled with unreliable testimony. It throws out an earlier family court decision, giving the mother, known only as JP, sole custody of her four children. After allegations the father was sexually abusing them, something that was never proven. I mean, it's virtually the total opposite of the the first uh, decision. So it'll be interesting to see if it is appealed. The appeal court judges also found no evidence to support the ministry and the social workers involved failed to protect the children. 
The judge erred in law in admitting much of the opinion evidence tendered by the mother because it failed to meet the threshold admissibility requirements. It was highly prejudicial to the father and led to a distorted fact-finding process. In July 2015, when the lower court ruling was released, JP spoke out. I'm hoping that um, this judgment uh, gives other judges the confidence to, you know, um, just stand up for what's right. The appeal court also tossed out the testimony of Claire Reeves. Reeves calls herself an internationally recognized expert in incest and child sexual abuse, but the court found none of her degrees is from a legitimate institution. One came from a now defunct university offering doctorates for $349 with free shipping. It always, I think, is important to uh, to make sure that that, that our public services are at the highest possible level when it comes to protecting vulnerable children. And, and this is the result of extremely serious allegations. And so it deserves uh, certainly a full airing. The lawyer representing JP says his client is shocked and completely disappointed by the decision. And she wants the case to go to the Supreme Court of Canada. Jill Bennett, Global News. Three people have been charged and luxury vehicles, drugs, guns and cash have all been seized as the result of a drug investigation by Ridge Meadows RCMP. The three-month-long investigation, part of Project E-Paperwork, as they call it, created to target drug dealers in the community as part of Ridge Meadows' response to the opiate drug crisis in the Lower Mainland. RCMP say the target identified was alleged to be supplying drugs, including fentanyl, to local dealers. These are dirty, disgusting drugs, and they're dangerous, and they're harmful to our community. And it's really important for me to say there's no such thing as recreational drug use. Our children, our teenagers, the addicted population, educated people, and working people that use and dabble in these drugs have no idea of the potency and the danger of the items that they are taking. The investigation is ongoing and further charges are anticipated against all three people. Concerns are growing once again tonight in the Caribou, where hot, dry, windy conditions are kicking up the Elephant Hill fire. Crews say the fire has moved beyond containment lines in some areas, prompting a new evacuation order and an alert. Nadia Stewart joins us from Green Lake tonight. Nadia... Is that fire threatening any homes at this point? Sophie, as far as we know, uh, no properties, no structures are under threat right now. But, of course, there are so many crews on the ground here working uh, to protect these communities that are under an order. Uh, now, uh, Burnaby firefighters just drove past us. There were choppers taking off and landing uh, just on the other side of the road from me. And all of it, of course, because of what you see uh, in these photos here, the activity from the Elephant Hill wildfire, the north flank uh, has really been the concern over the past 48 hours. Gusty winds were in the forecast on Tuesday night, but it was even windier than what was expected. And that is really what uh, kicked up the fire, uh, forcing it beyond containment lines, burning east towards Sheridan Lake. Now, there are 200 firefighters towards the north flank of the area. There's heavy equipment on the ground. 18 helicopters also actioning this fire. Two separate groups of water bombers as well uh, here working on this fire. And more crews are on the way. We know that 20 structural firefighter engines 
each of them equipped with four structural engineers, four, four structural firefighters are also on the way. Ten water tenders, each with two structural personnel. Everybody arriving from the various parts of the province, all of them coming to work on this fire on a 24-hour basis now. There are crews working here on the ground, Sophie. A lot of folks have been out of their homes for weeks. Nadia, what can you tell our viewers about the new evacuation order and alerts? Uh, for uh, these folks who are under an order, take a look at this map. It's a pretty big area that is under an evacuation order. The highway, south of Highway 24, that's the area under an order. Highway 24 corridor, that's where we are. That is the area under an alert. Now, for those folks under an order, that totals 729 individuals affected uh, by this evacuation order. The staging area for them, or the uh, emergency reception center for them, is over in 100 Mile House. I'm told by the folks at the Caribou Regional District that only 100 people have checked in so far. Most people have managed to find a place to stay, Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Nadia Stewart at Green Lake for us tonight. And because, sadly, people are not getting the message, at least some of them, RCMP in Langford sharing this picture today of a ticket they issued, a $575 fine for a driver caught tossing a cigarette butt out the window. Not only extremely dangerous right now, given the conditions, but also illegal. Troubling numbers from the B.C. Coroner's Service today as we mark International Overdose Awareness Day. It'll probably come as no surprise, but this year we've seen a significant increase in illicit drug overdose deaths, with 780 lives lost already this year. Compare that with 978 for all of last year, and that's a record that will almost certainly be broken. John Waugh spoke to those who survived their addiction about the dangers and what they say is needed. Every time Clive Derbyshire prepares for a shift, the Vancouver paramedic knows he will confront his past. One of the reasons I chose to be stationed down here in the downtown east side is that um, it's a constant reminder of, of where I was at. Not too long ago, addiction to both drugs and alcohol threatened his own life. Now every overdose call, a glimpse of what could have been. I knew that my life was at a breaking point. And I didn't want to die. International Overdose Awareness Day, remembering the countless souls that couldn't be saved. When we lose them, we hurt so badly. Hand in hand, participants of events like this one begging government to do more. Once or twice a week, I hear about somebody dying of a fentanyl overdose that I personally know. Her son Shay here to learn even dabbling in drugs could be a death sentence. It's not safe. In the past 10 days, police say there have been nine suspected overdose deaths in Vancouver alone. Firefighters responding to 156 related calls in the same time frame. We also need to start putting in place a system for mental health and addictions where you ask once and you get help fast. Vancouver Coastal Health expanding its drug testing program, hoping to curb the consumption of contaminated drugs. You know, we're still facing a lot of deaths and we need new interventions. For Derbyshire, he's ready to remain on the front lines of a battle that's far from over. It's not going to go away. It's going to get worse. And we need to find solutions at all levels. This paramedic now using his past as a beacon of hope for others, fighting to bring back people from death in more ways than one. John Hua, Global News.
Former BC Health Minister Terry Lake has jumped from politics into pot. Lake has been hired as Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility with a Quebec-based medical marijuana company. He says the position is an exciting opportunity as the federal government prepares to legalize cannabis next year. One of the things that the federal government has emphasized is maintaining the health, particularly of young Canadians, as we move to a legalized uh, cannabis recreational market. And so my job will be to ensure that this is built into the DNA of, of the Hydropothecary Corporation. Lake says he will continue to live in Kamloops, but he will travel to Hydropothecary in Gatineau, Quebec when required. On B.C.'s rugged north coast, a dramatic transformation is happening in the once sleepy fishing village of Prince Rupert. Earlier this week, the town celebrated a major port expansion, making it the second largest container port in Canada. And as Neetu Garcha reports, it's very quickly become the main economic driver in the region. Bernie Egan is getting ready for a day at the office. His employer, the Prince Rupert Port Authority, always has him on the go. Sometimes this is my office for days at a time. But he plans to stay firmly planted in this job he waited years for. I actually had to move away um, from Prince Rupert to find work. I can honestly say I never ever thought I was going to make it back to Prince Rupert. The jobs were not here. The economy was poor. Just over a decade ago, the city's economic anchor, its pulp mill, went into receivership. Its iconic fishing industry in decline. This after lumber shipments had peaked in the late 1980s and the Fairview Terminal, flat broke, had shut down. The idea of turning it into a container terminal in such a small remote port was seen as laughable. Until it happened. Now it's labeled the fastest growing port in North America. 24% of the labor force of Prince Rupert is directly employed by the port. Back 10 years ago, there were only less than 80 longshore positions in this community. There we are now getting close to 900. Big developments to this Asia-Pacific gateway were unveiled this week, nearly doubling the port's container capacity. Working alongside local First Nations communities, plans for another major expansion already underway. As long as we can look after the environment, we welcome development. Back in the early 2000s, in order to survive here, we had to go to Vancouver and work. And now it means that uh, we can stay home and uh, be with our families. The pipe dream port changing Prince Rupert's course, not only keeping it afloat, but offering new promise that has many once forced to leave, coming back in droves. I fully intend on retiring here at the Prince Rupert Port Authority. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Prince Rupert. A sign of savings for at least a little while in Metro Vancouver. Toll signs on the approach to the Portman and Golden Ears bridges removed today. The tolls will officially be gone at midnight tonight. Premier Horgan making the announcement last Friday following through on one of his key election promises. We'll get an idea of how drivers navigate the change on Tuesday when the post-Labor Day back-to-work and back-to-school traffic resumes. The lingering impact of Hurricane Harvey disaster on a massive scale with receding waters revealing the full scope of the tragedy. The latest on the relief effort and what would happen if a similar catastrophe happened here. How prepared the lower mainland is or isn't for a widespread natural disaster in just over a minute. A robbery at a Calgary convenience store and the clerk was having none of it. His epic battle against the thieves caught on camera later on the news hour. And remembering Diana.
20 years after that fateful race through a Paris tunnel. How her many fans are honoring her life later. Well, the water has finally begun to recede in Texas, but that is only creating new problems. One of the biggest concerns, a chemical plant not far from Houston where volatile compounds are burning. Air monitoring shows no toxins so far, but that could change at any moment. More fires are expected here because cooling systems have been knocked out. Now, the death toll is expected to climb sharply as the water levels drop. Houston and surrounding areas are looking ahead to a monumental cleanup even as the rescues continue. I'm Miguel Almaguer. In Beaumont, a state of emergency is taking on new urgency. At a hospital, those already in need are being rushed out. Surrounded by water, this hospital has no clean water. The place people turn to for help now whisking them away. She's a dialysis patient and they don't have any water here to dialyze us. Nursing homes across the area, like this one in Port Arthur, evacuated. Nearly 3,000 residents from more than 100 long-term care facilities have been saved. A prayer for help answered. So many have lost so much, and it's unclear how many are still missing. Rescuers continue to go door to door and are on rooftops, breaking into homes where people may be trapped. Yesterday, we were there when Demika Singleton and her family were hoisted to safety. Please. Somebody go get my mama out of there. She they did. She thought I was going to die. I really thought I was going to drown. My, everything in my house was floating. 68-year-old Ella Bradley was brought to this shelter hours away from her daughter. My granddaughter called, and I told her, I said, I won't make it, baby. I said, I don't think I'm going to make it. She said, Grandma, don't say that. Like so many families, they're waiting to be reunited. I want to talk to her. I want to make sure she's okay. Back in Houston, floodwaters blanket much of the city. But where the water is receding, the scope of the devastation is now being revealed. Across the region, an estimated 100,000 homes have been damaged. 32,000 people remain in shelters and 25,000 have been rescued. And now more trouble for those trying to get out of town. Long lines at the pump as supply crunch drives up gas prices in Texas. A major pipeline that stretches to New Jersey and provides 40% of the East Coast fuel has been cut off. But the real loss is measured one family at a time through stories of heartbreak and survival. With an epic disaster like Harvey generating headlines and stark images, it's only natural to wonder about Metro Vancouver's ability to handle a major coastal emergency. Most municipal governments say they are ready. But as Ted Trenecki reports, individual preparedness is sorely lacking. We've already seen a sampling of what's likely to come more frequently and with greater intensity, be it unprecedented flooding in the Okanagan this spring, to torrential rains and subsequent slides, or even the deadly collapse of a mountainside three years ago in Oso, Washington, that killed 43 people. Extreme weather is very much on the minds of emergency planners in B.C., to the extent Vancouver has sent a task force to Texas. They're there to assist where they can, but they're also there to learn and, and observe and bring good ideas back to Vancouver. So the way we look at it is uh, this is real-life training and an opportunity to help make Vancouver a safer city going forward. 
Three years ago, the Auditor General singled out BC as being woefully unprepared for a major disaster. So since that report, more of these coordinated disaster simulations have been taking place. But all the plans in the world are almost worthless if citizens don't have their own plan to survive those first few days or even weeks. They need to have emergency kits at home, have the appropriate uh, medication and personal information available should they have to evacuate. Even Metro Vancouver is rethinking everything, like not allowing massive surfaces of absorbable soil to be paved over, as happened at the new mega mall in low-lying Sawasan. Our storm drain system is being redesigned to manage those heavy rainfall peak events we haven't even seen before. Vancouver's newly appointed fire chief has some personal experience dealing with the floods that hit Calgary in 2013. There's a playbook that tries to consider everything, but when the real events actually happen, I think it's how those things are weighted. So sometimes it's something that you might have assumed would be a relatively minor part of the puzzle that actually turns out to be a significant challenge. The best plan is for each homeowner to be ready because as we see time and time again, unless you're extraordinarily lucky, you're more likely to be on your own. Ted Schnecke, Global News. Gotta be prepared. All right, clothing retailers may be in need of a mannequin makeover. It inspires me and it shows me the latest fashion. Ah, but new research from UBC shows that we could have to change window shopping forever. Also, dash cam video that cost a Georgia police officer his job. A new study out of UBC says those perfect mannequins we see in the stores could actually turn consumers off the clothes they're selling. Jennifer Palma explains why the research says retailers should change their sales pitch. They're a silent but powerful crew, carefully crafted to look good and entice you into their store, where hopefully you'll be inspired to buy. But a UBC study on mannequins shows... It doesn't always work on both sexes. And what we found was a general trend of negativity. So these consumers that don't feel good about themselves, when they see this perfect mannequin, they actually are saying, you know what, I'm not going to pay as much for that. Mannequins have evolved. They come in different shapes, colors, and sizes. But their main job is to sell a vision of you. I don't look like the mannequins. As they only have like one size figure. I find it a little easier to relate to a mannequin as opposed to some formless shape. <laughs> it doesn't really influence me. I'm more of a hanger girl. <laughs> I actually do not pay attention to mannequins. I think they're weird and creepy. I'm not size zero. So looking at their, them, I do feel like it gives me an inferior complex. At Couturist on Robson, they're focusing on fashion more and form less. Actually, half forms is the way they like to showcase their clothing. Uh, you definitely want something that is relatable to the general public. Uh, you don't want to single anybody out or make people feel like they don't belong. It seems Peng is onto something. The UBC study shows the half form is better for business. The findings showing when mannequins looked less attractive, consumers with negative self views liked the clothes better. It's because it's less threatening. These mannequins aren't perfect, right? And so they're not as, as much of a threat to us as consumers. Industry is listening, creating different styles of mannequins to better reflect today's society. Some companies making forms taken straight from living forms. Jennifer Palma, Global News. A special weather statement has been issued just ahead of the weekend. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with details straight from the PNE. And yes, it's getting hot, Yvonne. 
Yeah, and today's a nice reprieve in comparison to the record heat that we saw on Monday and Tuesday. But if you are making plans for the long weekend, it is going to be a scorcher. I'll have those numbers and show you which are the hottest days for your long weekend and some of those temperatures that we'll be seeing stretching in towards the interior. We're also outside the New Image College, and they do special effects. So when I come back, we're joined by a goblin here. Uh, Jaylene's been so kind to be one of the models, so we'll talk more about that. And we will talk about the record heat for the long weekend. Chris? That's great-looking makeup. Yeah, I think she looks great. Well, it's frightening, <laughs> but it's great. You know what I mean. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. We'll check in a little bit later. Well, a couple of thieves picked the wrong convenience store to rob. It was two against one, but the clerk came out on top in a fight you have to see to believe. And what a Georgia police officer said during this routine traffic stop that cost him his job. A 28-year veteran police officer in Georgia has been fired, caught by his own dash camera. Lieutenant Greg Abbott was trying to reassure a nervous driver during a traffic stop, but with a very questionable choice of words. I just don't want to put my hands down. I'm really sorry. I'm just... No, no, no. I've just seen way too many videos of problems. But you're not black. Remember, we only kill black people. Yeah, we only kill black people, right? The police chief says while he realizes Lieutenant Abbott was trying to de-escalate a tense situation, his comments were inexcusable and he has been fired. Well, 20 years ago today, the news alerts swept across the globe on a wave of surprise and shock. Princess Diana was dead. Two decades later, her memory still brings out crowds, like the thousands drawn to the gates of Kensington Palace in London today to leave flowers, messages and other tributes. The legacy of the people's princess showing no sign of fading. Chances are good you remember exactly where you were 20 years ago today. The day Princess Diana, only 36, died as a result of a car crash in a Paris tunnel. Her intoxicated driver determined to lose the crush of paparazzi following them. People around the world mourn, expressing their sorrow with flowers. The day of her funeral, Britain's famously stiff upper lip quivered. Even the Queen bowed as Diana's coffin passed Buckingham Palace, with her two heartbroken sons behind. What was it about her that has us still remembering? It was something much more than youth and beauty. It was perhaps her vulnerability, her big heart, her impulsiveness. Plagued by self-doubts, she talked openly about her bulimia. You inflicted upon yourself because your self-esteem was to low ebb and you don't think you're worthy or valuable. She was bigger than life while so very much like life, complicated, both joyful and wounded, reflected in her trip to a lover's bench alone. A woman who married a man poised to be king and divorced him. There were three of us in this marriage. A devoted mother who tried to give her sons the pleasures of an ordinary childhood, despite the duties that lay ahead of them. Who can forget her trips to the minefields or to comfort those others shunned? AIDS orphans, the homeless. Her loving touch changed the British monarchy. There was something about all of this that her friend Elton John captured in the song he played in tribute to her at her funeral. Goodbye, Rose. May you ever grow in our hearts. You 
Tony Blair was right to call her the people's princess. 20 years later, she still is. As we head into a scorching hot long weekend, search and rescue crews are bracing themselves. If past experience is any indication, they'll be busy rescuing hikers who've taken on more than they can handle. Linda Ellsworth has some advice from the experts on how to avoid being one of the lost. Bunsen Lake in Anmore is one of dozens of recreation areas managed by BC Hydro that you can expect to be packed this holiday weekend. And we get thousands of visitors come and uh, visit these sites. Now, most of the visitors come to enjoy the water. Others prefer hitting the trails, but doing so safely requires a bit of planning. If you're not prepared, trouble can ensue. We do have a tendency to feel invincible. However, with 1,600 call-outs a year with search and rescue, odds are it could happen to you. So what should you bring along for a hike? You bring out some food, some water, some equipment. Well, you got to have reasonably shoes. Uh, this is useful, the stick. Um, a whistle. So in my pack, whenever I go hiking, I make sure to take a variety of things with me. Emma Courtney teaches hiking safety. Extra food and extra water. So always making sure I take more with me than I think I'm going to need. Other essentials, a flashlight, extra clothing, a first aid kit, and an emergency blanket. Not only is it useful as to keep me warm and dry in an emergency, but also to signal for help as it's quite bright and reflective. An easy-to-reach whistle. Three whistle blasts is the emergency call for help. A pocket knife and a map and compass. I can be independent of my cell phone if I have my map and compass, my navigational tools, and the skills to know how to use them. Last but not least, do a trip plan. One way is by visiting adventuresmart.ca's website, where you can fill one out and share it electronically or leave it on your car's dashboard. Leaving a trip plan with a loved one can mean the difference of being found in a matter of hours versus a matter of days. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. All very good advice. Definitely. Well, a couple of would-be thieves got a lot more than they bargained for when they walked into this Calgary convenience store. Sonny the clerk was not going to let them get away with it. That's next. Also coming up tonight... Double your fun with dueling pianos at the PNE. Squire talks to the guys who keep the crowd singing and laughing. Just getting some breaking news for you now out of the Fraser Valley. Abbotsford police are on the scene at this hour at Gladwin Road and Huntingdon Road. At this point, they'll only say that they responded to a call of shots fired just after 6 o'clock. No word on whether anyone was hit or whether they were hurt, but we'll pass on any more information we get as soon as we get it. But again, shots fired in Abbotsford in, uh, we believe, around the 600 block of Gladwin Road. Two masked robbers burst into a Calgary convenience store. What happens next? You have to see to believe. That story right after the forecast. A couple of outdoor pools are going to stay open a couple of weeks later in the season than they normally do. We've got some hot weather on the way, and Yvonne Shell has the details for us on the forecast from the PNE, Yvonne. 
Yes, and absolutely you'll be wanting to take advantage of those pools, especially for this weekend. As the heat is on, it is going to be a scorcher. So look at our tower cam and what we can see right now. We've just had a few clouds in the sky today. We were in and out of it, especially earlier on. But there is a nice clearing on the way, and we'll continue to see this weather picture leading into the long weekend. But the temperatures are going to be the big weather story. We're at 21 with a southwesterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. High today was at 22 degrees, a nice reprieve from the heat that we saw on Monday, Tuesday in inland sections. We're touching closer to 25 degrees. A couple of birthday announcements this evening going out to Mary Taylor from Vancouver celebrating her 100th and Helen Holdrich from White Rock celebrating 101. So happy birthday and congratulations to you both. Here's a look what we're seeing though. This is the upper level chart. The ridge is going to build in very strong. The peak of these temperatures are some of the hottest days for the weekend will be Sunday, Monday and we will continue to see the heat as we look ahead towards our Tuesday. Many spots inland for coastal sectors will be into the low 30s. Coastal sections for the northern half of the province, a different weather picture where we're still tracking that precipitation and rainfall. The southern half will heat up Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, so similar. And across the coast, be prepared. The heat will push in for our long weekend and Sunday, Monday for the latter half is where we'll see those temperatures soaring. You will want to be prepared, especially if you're planning on being outdoors. A range in temperatures tomorrow, though, still closer to 27. Sunday, Monday, inland sections will be into 30 degrees, so the heat is on. All right, we're located outside of the Peony Prize home, and I'm with Dakota, Jaylin, and Sophia. You're the artist of this, so tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing down here at the Peony. I'm uh, just promoting our school, so we're called New Image College, Canada's leading post secondary institution for TV and film acting, uh, nail and spa technician, and fashion and film makeup. Sort of showing ourselves off, giving away some free services. And this is an excellent look that yeah. you guys have done this evening. It's for our special effects. So we teach special effects for TV and films. So and I've got a few people lining up, which is great because you can get a pedi, a massage, a few of the other features that you can get when you're down here at the Peony. Yeah, you need to come get a massage. Let's go after yeah. this. Manicure, pedicure, <laughs> so those are key things. If people want to find out more information about the college, where can they go? Uh, newimage.ca. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for this fabulous look, all courtesy of Sylvia. So thanks, guys. And once again, if you want to come check them out, they're located just just outside of the Peony Prize home, and those are some images taken earlier of Jalen, and this is the transformation. Guys? She's looking a little green. <laughs> She'd disappear on <laughs> She'd disappear. All right, great stuff. We'll check in with you a little bit later uh, in the weather. Great stuff. Thank you, Yvonne. It is shocking video that looks like something out of an American big city, but it happened in Calgary. Two robbers burst into a convenience store, and a store employee decides he's not going to take it lying down. We work hard, and like it's not right, you know, to just come in and rob the uh, store. This convenience store employee might be Calgary's hardest working. His name's Sonny, and two weeks ago he was minding shop when a pair of masked robbers barged in. My guy was explaining, take whatever you guys want, it, but I'm not going to lay it down on the floor. And they said, no, lay it down on the floor, and they started fighting really fighting for his life. The man and woman were swinging at him with an axe and a tire iron. I think if I'm not to do anything, maybe he hit me bad because he have a bad thing and hit me one time and that's it. Over, game is over. So that's why I'm a little bit uh, go, uh, you know, protective myself. Sonny rips off the guy's mask. Eventually he escapes out the door, but he doesn't run away. He dragged the bench from here. The quick-thinking employee grabs whatever he can find to lock the thieves in. 
She kicked it, you know, open this much. Until both crooks start kicking the glass out and break free. By then, an A-plus-1 employee from a different location arrives to help. The two work together to pin down the male robber until police show up. I was shocked. I looked at the video. and Elijah Otaki owns the company that installed Mohammed's cameras. He edited the music onto the footage and posted it online. The guy's a hero. I mean, everybody should recognize what he did because... Um, he fought for his life, he tried to get out of the situation, and um, he even um, exposed his face. Mohammed says both his employees were frightened but not seriously hurt. They're back working nights. He's added more cameras and door locks staff can control remotely. The damage and losses total over $7,000, but Mohammed says that's not what matters. I think about my employee, I say, thanks God they are okay, you know. They got some paid days off and a bonus. Mohammed hopes the video sends a message to other would-be robbers that businesses fight back. Uh, really, really, now I think uh, the bad people think about no-go and his store. Mia Sosiak, Global News. Don't mess with Sunny. Oh, do not mess with Sonny. dude was like... There's a whole bunch of Sonnies out there, too, like, and you just don't know where they are. He was like Conor McGregor in the Octagon. That was beautiful. <laughs> That's right. Hey, the, good um, yeah, good to... Welcome back. Thank you, sir. Good okay. to be here. Yeah, gang's almost all here. Well, because Yvonne's down at PE. and uh, The spectacular summer of Shapovalov continues. Shining brightly on the big stage at the U.S. Open. Dennis Shapovalov, the new star of Canadian tennis, is shining brightly for the whole world to see. And it's not Rick Springfield or Trooper, but this musical act is always ahead at the PNE, and they take requests. Squire sits down with the dueling pianists. There might, that was a very nice whistle, by the way. Thank you very much. Uh, oh there might be an opening for, uh, for a young star. Oh, I think the there US is. And not just Dennis Shapovalov. There's a number of young stars who could go into the vacuum. That is the U.S. Open this year. Five of the top men didn't even make the U.S. Open because of injuries. There is room, then, for a young star to emerge in Canada's Denis Shapovalov could be that star. He grabbed the tennis world's attention in Montreal earlier this month when he beat Rafael Nadal at the Rogers Cup. Last night, they put Shapovalov on the main court against Joe Willie Songa. He beat Songa. His match tomorrow will be around 10 a.m. our time against England's Kyle Edmund, whom he had beaten earlier this year. That will also be at Arthur Ashe Stadium. And the big thing about last night's win was how much confidence... Shapovalov showed and how much fun he was having and the crowd loved his enthusiasm and his court coverage. There was nowhere Songa could put the ball where Shapovalov couldn't get to it. You got the feeling if Songa had put his shot into the upper deck at Arthur Ashe, Shapovalov would have run that down as well. A win against the 8th seed doesn't usually happen to a player who's a qualifier. All right. How's Roger Federer feeling? He does have a sore back. And today he was taking on Mikhail Yuzhny. Now, he won the first set, but Yuzhny, who has never beaten Federer, won the second set, 6-4. And then he won the third set. Now, here's a weird stat. At the Grand Slam, when Federer has won the first set but lost sets 2-3, and 1-8, and eight, lifetime. But uh, not today. Despite the bad back, despite playing sluggish, despite a first-round match that also went five sets, Federer forced a fifth set against Eugenie and then basically dominated the fifth and final set. 
So yes, he will go to the third round. I like that shirt, actually. Mm -hmm. I don't mind using his shirt either. Yeah, I like Federer's shirt. Looks good. Anyway, Roger Federer to round number three. Bad back and all. Well, when it comes to the world of baseball, Nat Bailey Stadium is kind of like Disneyland. It's the happiest place on earth. Who has a bad time at a Canadians game, I ask you? Nobody. I know. The park is great. The food is great. The drinks are cold. And quite often, the Seas are a winning team, which is the case again this year. Thanks in part to Vancouver's endless sunny summer, the Vancouver Canadians set another attendance record. Over 239,000 flocked to Nat Bailey Stadium, an average of 6,300 per game and a 98.3% capacity, which is impressive no matter what level of professional baseball. Our fans love the sunshine, and coming out to an outdoor venue like this where everyone can sit outside, drink a cold beverage, and watch a little baseball, that makes a big difference. Winning helps. The players have done their part, winning the first half pennant, ensuring playoff baseball next week at the Nat, and it's fair to say that big, boisterous hometown crowd brings the best out of these players who know how good they have it playing minor ball in a major league city. They get here, and they're used to playing in front of crowds of 300, 500, 800, and they come to the Nat, and they play in front of 6,000, and they are uh, cheered on on every play. Uh, I think they absolutely notice the difference. They love playing here, and they love playing in Vancouver because it's a world-class city. One player who's really lived up to his hype this year is Casey Clemens, the son of the legendary Roger Clemens. He leads the Seas in homers and RBIs and is showing that intensity runs in the family. Casey's been a tremendous asset to our team. He's one of the fire starters of the team. I think he is one of the chief um, stewards of accountability among the other players. I mean, he is every bit as tenacious and driven as his father was. The season's not over yet. Fans will get at least one playoff game and one sushi mascot race next Wednesday, and hopefully more as the Seas chase their fourth Northwest League title in the last seven years. Very Delay, Global Sports. I know what I'm having for dinner now, too. Me, too. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Squire. Jay Durant now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We were tracking some breaking news you mentioned a bit earlier out of Abbotsford. This video from Gladwin Huntington. Police confirm officers are responding to reports of shots fired. The call came in just after 6. We don't know yet if anyone was hurt. We'll stay on top of this breaking story. And singer-songwriter Lionel Richie has arrived in Vancouver in true West Coast fashion aboard a seaplane. We'll have those stories tonight. At 11. It's a good way to go. No doubt. Thanks, Jay. See, looks exactly the same. Hasn't mm-hmm. aged a bit. All right, when we come back, triple the fun with dueling pianos and Squire. Coming up next, <laughs> those three things. You missed us singing, which yeah, is that was good quite something. It's a good thing you did. <laughs> it would have broken the glassware in your house. Just a couple of days left for the peony. Well, a few days left for yes, the Yes, and uh, the folks behind me, dueling pianos at the beer garden, they'll be there right until Labor Day, and they are fun to see, and it's a participation show. Let's check it out. When your act is essentially taking requests and playing them, you have to be like a human Spotify. They're requesting the songs, we're playing the songs they requested, they're singing, they're clapping, so it's very interactive. So how many songs can dueling pianos actually do? Without uh, reading the lyrics off my phone, over a thousand. 
but after if you bring a phone in, I think over three thousand. There's so many songs that the chords are there's just like two or three chords, and if I just had the lyrics, I could I could easily play it. Drew and Kin, who are married, have been part of the PE for the past five years. Now the idea of dueling pianos. That was started in the 80s, and it was taught to others to spread the concept. The two women that started the concept trained four guys, well, and then they trained another four guys, and I'm like the third generation. There's about 500, 500 people that do our act. When I started the gig, it was like learn these 100 songs because they come up every night. So I learned those hundred. Give me a couple of examples. Okay, Bohemian Rhapsody, Don't Stop Believing, Living on a Prayer, Piano Man, Brown Eyed Girl, The Joker. Uh, so, old, time old time rock and roll. Part of the job is to read the crowd, know when to ramp them up, and know when to calm them down. Sometimes we just have to slow it down, yeah. and we'll just oh, play so a, there, a, a song that just pulls the carpet. And if we see people getting hurt or like moshing or dancing. <laughs> I'll just start playing, you know, like hold me closer, and then they're like, yeah, you know. But they really haven't had to do that at the P and E. In fact, this is one of their favorite crowds to play for. In general, I think it's a great crowd. It's one of our favorite places in the world. This is like one of the only three gigs in my life that, if I ever like won the lottery or had a hit song, I would still come back and do. Lyrics to 